From between the hedges at Sanford Stadium to the practice fields, from Stegman Coliseum and wherever else the Bulldogs are playing, it's time to talk Georgia sports. From the Athens Banner Herald, here are your hosts, Mark Weiser and Ryan Dennis. Welcome in. It's the Bulldogs Extra Podcast. Mark Weiser with Ryan Dennis. Little Georgia-Tennessee game this week. You might have heard about that. And uh, we are doing the podcast a little bit different. We're not in the studio. Ryan is out of town. I am at my home. Going to be heading over to Georgia football interviews later, I think. And uh, Ryan, how's it going? Hey, man. It's going uh, pretty well. I'm excited. Excited like everybody else, I think. In uh, Well, not in Bulldog Nation as we speak, but... Come Saturday, uh, me and you and a lot of our friends will be in Sanford Stadium there. And I mean, I can't remember too many other times I've been this excited for a game. I mean, you think back to like 2013, Georgia LSU, uh, 2019, obviously, with Notre Dame coming in. I mean, games like this are few and far between. And I don't know. I feel I feel different about this game. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty exciting. Um, it'll be uh... 92746 will be the official attendance. They are not adding 500 seats extra like they did for Notre Dame. That was a deal where they brought in bleachers. They said because of um, kind of the Notre Dame ticket allotment, Georgia was guaranteed a certain amount. And to accommodate Notre Dame's uh, equal number on their visit here, uh, they need to add 500 seats, I guess. So, that's why they're not doing it this time. I don't know. Interesting. Um, what's that? So that's interesting. Uh, you know, I I know they had much more advanced time, I guess, with Notre Dame coming in to, to know how big that matchup was going to be. We didn't know yeah. until Tennessee yeah. had, you know, the the start they've had that this would be as big as it is. So. Yeah, Claude Felton, the uh, longtime Georgia Sports Information Director, told me that this will be a record number of people in the press box. Uh, he didn't know the exact number, but he thought it would top – anything they've had before. Well, maybe not just in the press box. I think he's counting credential media anywhere, which includes like college game day, SEC nation. I I guess maybe those folks come inside the stadium too. I don't know. They have how many different, you know, guys operating drone cameras or whatever for CBS, that kind of thing. So speaking of Claude Felton, I don't know if you were going to mention this. Uh, Maybe I'm jumping ahead, but sent out an email just a while ago about the Bulldogs honoring Charlie Trippy and, uh, Coach Vince Dooley this Saturday with a uh, player patch uh, for Coach Dooley, helmet decal for Charlie Trippy, and I think something might be on the field as well. Yeah, I asked him what exactly is on the field because I, I, I mean, is that like a special uh, logo or insignia or something? I would or? imagine, and it's just kind of cool that it's on Dooley Field, right? Uh, which obviously means something, and I think it's something that might should stand. You know, if there's a a special uh, logo or, or something they can come up with that that would look really cool, that could permanently be be at the twenty five yard line or something. I think would be a really cool nod to to Coach Dooley. All right, we're going to talk about Coach Coach Dooley. Um, I was going to do it in a little bit, but why don't we just go ahead and do it now because you brought his name up, and obviously we need to make mention of the passing of Vince Dooley. Uh, seems like a long time ago already. It was only five days ago, I guess, right? Um, yeah, Friday. Yep. Friday. Um, we, we had him on the podcast actually like three years ago maybe. Quite a figure for the university and the athletic department and the football program. Um, of course, the timing the day before the game against Florida was, um, you know, it was just, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It was uh, mm-hmm. just, I mean, obviously you could, could you know, could be not during football season. It could be uh, during like a Tuesday, but like just on the eve of a, of a game where he obviously uh, coached for so many years. And, you know, any, anyway, uh, we wrote a lot about uh, Coach Dooley, uh, Vince Dooley, last week and into uh, – yeah, I was struck by, you know, Kirby Smart um, seeming to obviously, you know, be really touched um, by his relationship with Coach Dooley and obviously on the field last year at the national – or last uh, January at the national championship game. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think Vince Dooley was kind of 
an example for for uh, Kirby Smart about you know how to win with a certain amount of um, class and dignity. Um, you know, Kirby is is a guy that's uh, pretty no nonsense and pretty cutthroat in terms of um, you know uh, doing the things that needs to be done to have a championship winning program. And that's why he made the national championship game in his second year, then in his seventh or sixth season, won it all. Um, but you know, maybe as he grows into the job, uh, not in terms of being a head coach, because he clearly can do that very well, but, you know, just presiding over a program and, and realizing his impact on, um, young men, um, you know, maybe he looks at, at Vince Dooley in terms of how he, I thought the one quote I thought was interesting with him, he, he called him a, a, you know, a different kind of coach in that he was like interested in the arts, he said, um, right. You know, which uh, shows kind of an awareness of, um, you know, how much there is outside the lines, you know. Well, aside from that, I mean, you think about the impact he had, obviously, as as an athletic director and obviously a lot of emotions and, and you know, respects are paid to to someone who's just passed. But you think about Chris Hack, the the men's golf coach, I saw a a, a tweet from him about how much coach Dooley meant to him. Obviously I think he hired him 25, 30 years ago, whatever it was Uh, coach uh, Mark Fox, you know, who really didn't have any crossover with Vince Dooley, but said that he left a, you know, a meaningful impact in his nine years at the university of Georgia. And um, you know, just so many people just have memories that go outside of athletics in general. Uh, Saw a lot of people, mentioned what a good person he was in, in all walks of life and how he would just engage in conversation about whatever topic needed to be talked about. And it's kind of what I wrote about uh, in my column uh, on Vince was the, I don't know, 30 minutes that we spent together. It was all, you know, he wanted to know about my life and where I grew up and why, you know, I ended up in Athens and, and, you know, he was just, he was just a, a good human being who, uh, I think you you see from from all the other athletics that uh, you know he helped and 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 grew at the University of Georgia to just somebody down the street in Athens could could you know could recognize Vince uh, in a grocery store and just have a casual conversation. So yeah, he was just a he was just a good guy, a, a good Athens resident, a good human being, and uh, he'll be dearly missed. You know, Mark Fox was a basketball coach here for nine seasons. So uh, I think the Georgia basketball coach, um, whether Vince Dooley was still, you know, officially with the university. I mean, he's a, he's a presence in football games and Mark Fox was around football games. So that's for sure. I mean, he painted his face and <laughs> brought recruits on the sidelines and, yeah. you know, maybe socially he they ran across uh, some of the same paths. He uh, also, uh, you know, Tom Crean even tweeted out about him too. You know, he did. Uh, you're right. So, um you know, we, we can talk about, you know, Vince Dooley's uh, coaching career and his impact, you know, for, for a long time. Uh, we, we had a guest there uh, from uh, the Rhine. Uh, yeah. Is there a dog out here? In the that's the uh, that's the problem with uh, remote podcasts is that um, my dogs can guess from time to time. So, well, we'll not too loud. Hope they're not bothering yeah, anything too we much. Can talk, we'll talk more about Coach Dooley uh, next week. We can talk about, you know, kind of looking at what Georgia – did for him this weekend and kind of how that was part of this weekend upcoming. Let's talk, let's, let's turn the attention a little bit now to the game um, and the Florida win for Georgia 42 to 20. Uh, This uh, will be a matchup of number one, Tennessee, number three, Georgia, based on the college football playoff rankings that came out on Tuesday night, um, which I kind of expected Tennessee would be number one. I did not think Georgia would be three. I thought they would be one, two, um any thoughts on that it surprised me a little bit it it did i think you're right Uh, people valued a couple of tennessee's wins lsu obviously over alabama but it seemed like they didn't value georgia's win over oregon the the domination that was uh maybe against south carolina who was ranked for a little while in in the polls uh but maybe they looked more at georgia's performance against missouri or, a, you know, a Kent State or something like that and don't believe that they've done what Ohio State or Tennessee have done so far this year. But, you know, I think 
the it, it was a bad thing for Tennessee <laughs> to for Georgia to come out and be ranked third because you know Kirby Smarts will use that just full throttle this week as motivation. As much as they talk about they don't look at that type of stuff, you know that Kirby's taking anything he can to to use his motivation. So obviously we know it'll all play itself out. If Georgia wins, I fully expect them to jump back to you know to number one in the playoff rankings. I think they would skip over Ohio State. So you know, it'll get taken care of on the field. And this is Georgia's toughest stretch. If they take care of business, they'll be they'll be just fine. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to, you know, whether it's the um, selection committee chair this year, um, you know, the Wake Forest AD, uh, Boo Corrigan, or you listen to, um, you know, the uh, ADs, or the uh, committee chairs in past years, um you know, th- there's not really clear messaging. I mean, you hear different things depending on what question they're being asked. Uh, I think I, you know, there's some talk about uh, an explosive offense by Ohio State. Um, you know, you hear about um, how they came back against Penn State was a great thing. I mean, I don't, I didn't hear anything about how Georgia came back against Missouri. So, you know, w- whatever. I mean, it's early. Uh, it's week one of I think five or six of these things. Um, it doesn't matter. Georgia's playing Tennessee uh, Saturday. That'll Georgia's going to be number one next week if they win. You know, if they lost, obviously, um, you know, they'll need some help to, to get into the playoff. Um, but, uh, hey, uh, need to make a mention, we're going to have Adam Sparks covers Tennessee uh, from the Knoxville New Sentinel. will be joining us in a little bit. We'll also uh, have a guest picker, I think, with our picks this week. Ryan, speaking of guest pickers. Oh, yeah. Give me a three names that you think might be the guest picker for game day. All right, I've heard a lot of people throw out Nick Chubb, who I had on our uh, top ten guest pickers list. Uh, I think that's a I think that's a good guess. I, I think a country star of some sort. You know, somebody actually texted me that uh, maybe Trisha Yearwood and Garth Brooks. Apparently, they're a house divided. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, and then. I, I, I think somebody uh, in the athletic world, whether it be a Braves player uh, or even Dominique Wilkins, I think, uh, coming up. I know the Hawks play that night, and he's an analyst for the Hawks, but I think that'd be a good guess. What's on your top three? Oh, I was I, I supposed to come up with the top three, huh? Um, yeah. I don't know. They, they usually – seems like they've had guys or girls or whatever females come out of nowhere that you don't necessarily expect. I mean, I don't know. Is there, is there some kind of movie uh, coming up that they want to promote somehow a Disney uh, kind of tie in, right? Isn't ESPN a Disney company? I did see Angelina Jolie was shopping in Georgia. Uh, She making a movie here. I don't know. Um, How about Ryan Seacrest? Uh, How about the guy from um, uh, Seinfeld or the office? One of those guys. Yeah, Wayne Knight. I considered Wayne Knight, but he didn't uh, seem to be too big of a sports fan, from what I can tell. That was Newman from Seinfeld. So I left him off my list. Um, but yeah, Kevin from the office, Brian Baumgartner, went to Westminster School in uh, Atlanta. So he's a Georgia fan. He'd be funny. Hey, he- I think I said I think I said the AD at uh, Wake Forest. Corgan is the AD at NC State. Confusing my uh, tobacco road ish. Is Wake Forest Tobacco Road? I don't think it is. Uh, you know, that's funny because uh, I am near that area right now as we speak. And it is a little further west than uh, the Duke, Durham, uh, Chapel Hill, Raleigh area. So, no, not not Tobacco Road. All right. Georgia has a big loss in the uh, player personnel department. Nolan Smith is uh, out seemingly for the season with a torn pectoral muscle. Um, to me, it feels like Georgia can survive any of these kind of losses. I mean, you've had, uh, you know, Jalen Carter playing for only, you know, three games where I would say he was probably at, at closer to full health and several games where he was very, very limited um, or, you know, maybe closer to full health isn't really even a true case. I mean, I think Kirby said he was injured the first snap of the season. But my point is that you've been okay or, or more than okay without Jalen Carter. Now you have him back. Um, you're going to miss Nolan Smith. He's probably a, a bigger uh, deal. I mean, he, he is a, a terrific pass rusher and a guy that's good against the run as well. But I think what you'll miss most about him is probably what he brings in terms of intangibles. He's a guy that really can fire up the troops and, and get him going. Um, so this is more playing time for Robert Beal, more snaps 
for Chaz Chambliss and probably, you know, working uh, some of the young guys, um, you know, whether it's uh, um, who's the guy from Florida that, that came um, the, the uh, true freshman from down there, Marvin Jones, Marvin Jones, Jr. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, I, I mean, this might be a game the way Tennessee will roll out, you know, they'll roll out five wide receivers at times. So maybe you, you take one of those guys off and you throw in an extra DB or two. Um, but what's your thoughts on on how big a loss this is? Well, as you mentioned, uh, you know, he was one of the three players that Georgia took to SEC media days. So you, you see how much Kirby values what Nolan Smith brings to the to the program. Now, as you said, there's there's depth there. And, and we kind of saw it, you know, when Adam Anderson had his uh, legal issues last year and was kicked off the team that, that Georgia didn't miss him that much. And you're right. Having a. Robert Bill still around. It's what seems like his eighth year in the program. It, it, it's very important. I think Chaz Chambliss has proved that he's, you know, coming along and, and can provide a lot. And of course, Michael Williams, uh, being a true freshman, uh, and what he can can bring as far as athleticism and whatnot. I think they'll be able to to bridge the gap. Now, like you said, his most important thing, which is the team leadership. You know, what's he saying to guys in the huddle right before, uh, you know, or along the line there right before a snap uh, to get people in right spots and whatnot. I think that's going to be where he's missed most. Obviously, he's a very talented player, and it really sucks, you know, with he was going to go to the NFL and probably be a first-round pick this coming up here. So I uh, hope that he can recover and, uh, and get back right uh, for that at least. But I think Georgia's going to be – they're going to be okay. They have plenty of depth. I mean, I do think they have playmakers at, at you know on the defense that can make up for you know Smith's loss. I don't know necessarily, you know, I think there's probably a, a pretty big drop off from Nolan Smith to Chas Chambliss. No disrespect to Chambliss, he just hadn't he hadn't shown it yet. I mean, he had a sack late in the game against Florida, but you know, let's see how he does, um, you know, when he's being called on to you know fill in from the get go in, in some of these games if he is. Um, but you know. The Anderson loss last year did show, I mean, and he's not the only one. I mean, you lost George Pickens, right, in the preseason last year. I mean, George was recruited at such a level that they should be able to withstand, uh, you know, these kind of things. Um, so, hey, speaking of dogs, my dog is barking. Uh, got another, another guest appearance. Well, you mentioned Pickens, but, I mean, George has been able to produce a lad McConkey out of nowhere, right? Maybe it's somebody else's time to just step up out of nowhere. I mean, you never, you, you never know what to expect out of who Georgia might find or discover with with in a in an unfortunate situation like this all right uh excuse me um a couple other things from the florida game brock bowers in case you don't know he's a damn good football player and he's making some plays that are pretty special that we're going to probably remember five ten years from now um you know george is going to have him for another uh season and a half right he can't go to the nfl yet even though he looks like he should be playing up there um can Tennessee find a way to, you know, keep that guy uh, in check? Well, I, yeah, that's going to be one of their biggest troubles. But the good thing for Georgia, you know, you you double cover him, you leave a lot of people open, including Darnell Washington, maybe on the other side, or you know, any one of the the receivers. But what did you tweet out the other day? He was a magician, I think, after that play down the sideline. I mean, that did look that looked like something. Uh, you know, you just don't see a player with that type of concentration, especially a tight end like that. Yeah, I, I think there's a delay of like 10 seconds from the TV broadcast to the. Um... Yeah, I saw the tweet before I saw the play. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's what I was to say. I hope it didn't ruin it for people. Like, well, what did he do? You know, so. <laughs> no, it just it piqued my curiosity. I was like, what am I about to see here? Yeah. I mean, it is 2022. They can't get that thing going like a little bit closer. I don't know. Mm. Maybe were you, were you watching it on streaming? Yeah, so actually, I was even further behind than that. So I knew, uh, I knew what was there was something special coming. All right, Stetson Bennett threw for over three hundred yards. Uh, had a couple of picks. Um, what was it one touchdown? Maybe um, you know one of the picks was, you know, just a great play by the Florida DB. Uh, kind of won a uh, a fight for the ball with Don Blaylock. The other one um, underthrew. I think it was uh, Dejon Edwards, kind of on a wheel route. Um, I'm not concerned about Bennett in terms of, um, you know, he went like nine games with one interception. Um, you know, he's a dude. I mean, he's, he's 
there, there's not there's not like a uh, let's get Carson Beck warmed up. I mean, you're you're winning or you're losing with Stetson Bennett, and um, you know, I just, I mean, I, I'm I go back to you know thinking about some of the games that, that Jake Fromm had that um, you know I don't think we're anywhere close to that level, especially that last year. Remember Jake's Jake's year before he went to the NFL? I mean, the offense was really I don't know why I bring that up, but my point is that. Uh, I think Stetson's fine. I think, um, you know, he, he's making some big plays. He's got him unbeaten. Um, and Georgia's offense, who we might want to mention, is uh, what are they scoring? Like 42 points a game almost. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's offense has been clicking. And I don't think it's at any point, you know, Stetson's your guy and when will be your guy. And I think that, you know, when you when you start talking about Carson back or or even Brock Vandergriff, I mean, we're we're past that point because it's clear that, Stetson is is going to be your quarterback throughout the entire season. And if he throws a pick or something, you can't just immediately start thinking, hey, it's time for a change because he's done so many great things and had a, you know, such a uh, a good season, uh, you know, from the, the first couple of games, uh, especially against Oregon and whatnot. Uh, I mean, he even had a big game the other day if you take out those couple of, couple of odd throws. But, I mean, that it's going to be trouble for Tennessee to – to try to slow down Georgia. I mean, that's going to be, it might be a 60 to 55 shootout. I don't know, but, uh, you know, I think Georgia's offense is going to be just fine. All right. Georgia's got a couple of guys banged up on the offensive line. Uh, Xavier Truss is, I guess I put him in the questionable category. Got a turf toe. I thought Devin Willick really looked good coming in for him. So, you know, I mean, I don't know how Truss graded out, but I thought Willick, Created, I think he had a you know one of the guys that really created that hole for um, McIntosh, I guess it was down there uh, with the touchdown run. Um, have we talked about? We haven't even talked about Kenny McIntosh. Well, the other guy I want to mention is Marius Mims. Uh, left knee injury, had it rolled up on. Um, I, you know we're not we're not in practice during the week, but it mm-hmm. sounds like he's probably also in that category. I, I don't know. He's not a starter, but guy obviously that comes in and is counted in the rotation. Um, hey, Kenny McIntosh, I don't know if I've seen that guy run with that kind of ferocity. Uh, after his fumble, um, you know, he had a lot of yards after contact, uh, did not shy away from uh, lowering the shoulder and, and um, you know, delivering blows himself and uh, really fought through, um, you know, tackles to get that touchdown there near the goal line. Uh, which probably was that Brenton Cox's last play in college football might have been. He punched him, didn't he? Is that what I? Is that? I mean, I saw. A, a, I don't know, but he got he got kicked off. He got kicked off the Gators team uh, the next day or two, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's interesting. I mean, maybe I didn't expect uh, anybody to be getting 16 carries in this rotation, but I think that's what Kenny had the other day, and I don't know that might continue. Who knows? Yeah, ever since I wrote about it being Dejon Edwards and Branson Robinson's backfield, uh, Kenny has. Taking off done pretty well, but uh, yeah, I think he he also he he took that his own mistake personally and and made up for it. So uh, yeah, he's your guy in the backfield, especially with Kendall Milton. Who knows what his issue is and when he'll be be back fully healthy. So, how you feeling about Georgia's uh, pass defense in this matchup? I mean, we already mentioned not having Nolan Smith. Um, are you are you concerned about Keely Ringo? He missed time to jump, um, you know, on the perimeter. And Florida completed a 40-yard pass to Justin Shorter. Well, no. I mean, I'm not concerned about Keely Ringo. I mean, everybody is going to have a, a lapse every now and then, right? I mean, for the, for the most part, look at Malachi Starks the other day. I know he's a true freshman, but, uh, you know, you know they're going to pick on Malachi uh, this week and, and try to go after the the young guy. But, you know, I, I think Keely's just fine. I think Kamari Lester's you know, just fine, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough task, obviously with the, the offense that Tennessee has is just high power and, and go, go, go all the time. You know, they hardly take 10 seconds between uh, the end of the play and the next snap. So uh, I guess fatigue is just going to be the biggest issue, I think. And Hey, it won't surprise me if, if there's a player two that gets behind the defense. I mean, that's just the MO of Tennessee's offense. But you just have to limit those and, and keep them down into the 20s or something if you can, uh, scoring-wise. All right, let's talk more about Tennessee. Let's bring on Adam Sparks now from the Knoxville News Center. Joining us now to talk Tennessee, Georgia, or I should say Georgia, Tennessee. This is a Georgia podcast, right? 
Uh, it's Adam Sparks from the Knoxville News Sentinel. You might remember him from covering Vanderbilt. We had him on the podcast in the past. I don't remember if we've had you on since he started covering Tennessee. Those are pretty equal programs, right? Tennessee and Vanderbilt. Isn't that right, Adam? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I would say I'm not used to covering national title contenders, but I was in baseball at Vanderbilt. So now it's just it's just football. I just didn't see this game meaning this much this this early in, in Josh Hopple's tenure. So count me as surprised. Yeah, Adam is now covering the uh, college football playoff ranked number one, Tennessee Vols. Georgia is uh, number one in the AP and the coaches poll, number three in the CFP rankings. Adam, uh, how do you think the Vols are going to react? Will there be any impact on them? Uh, are they going to start kind of thinking they uh, you know, are in the playoff or something? Yeah, I mean, I've tried to poke around about that to get a sense of that because you would think logically that's how it would go, that guys would – get a little too uh, mixed up in this, a little too distracted by this. I, I just don't see hints of that, though. And and you have to understand sort of how Josh Hopple's mentality is. All the stuff that we always hear all these players and coaches say that, you know, 1-0 this week and one week, one game at a time and all this this stuff that they all say, but most of them don't mean. It 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 really comes across as pretty genuine with this team. Um they have, they have, you know, you you can look as much to the game last week where Tennessee had Kentucky come in, which looked kind of like a trap game because all that anybody was talking about around Knoxville is, hey, if you can get to the Georgia game undefeated, you you've got a shot to win the East, you get a shot to, you know, get a path clear path to the playoff, and there was a chance for a for you know a little bit of a letdown against Kentucky, and they played phenomenal, played their best defensive game in years. The offense is really good. And so I think he's had them locked in so well that I don't expect them to buy in too much to uh, this number one ranking. I'm more curious sort of on the Georgia side because, I mean, Kirby Smart is a Nick Saban disciple. If you can get some rat poison into into the the minds of your players in any way, you know, I think it could be applicable here because Georgia is a defending national champion. Georgia is supposed to be number one suddenly this upstart is coming in who didn't seem like they've earned it before this year and they're number one. I, I think there's some psychology that could certainly go into this game in, in that regard. Right. I'll let you ask him a question about, I think that's a reverse rat poison though, isn't it? That'd be reverse. I think there's two kinds, right? If say Saban defined like two kinds of rat poison, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> different, they're different flavors. I think, I think. Oh man. Well, Everybody looks at the Alabama win as being, you know, one of Tennessee's best. And, of course, the crowd stormed the field, and it, it was a, a great win for the program. But when they went down to LSU and just put a butt thumping on the Tigers down there, do you see that as maybe being one of their top wins and then using that type of atmosphere to come into Athens and not be so timid? Yeah, I mean, I was a little, I was uh, a little surprised. Um, maybe I shouldn't be, but that the CFP committee really regarded that LSU win so highly. I think a lot of that is the fact that LSU has kind of um, got back on track in their season, um, and there may be maybe a threat in the West. We'll see on Saturday, but um, I, I mean, that was. You know, Tennessee went down there as a mild underdog, and they won that game uh, handily. It, it was, I mean, it was over, honestly, on the opening kickoff. Uh, LSU fumbled, Tennessee scored quickly. You know, it wasn't a night game in Baton Rouge, so you didn't have the atmosphere quite that you would have in, you know, in the worst or the best, maybe, of environments in the SEC. But it did prepare them a little bit. I, I I think one thing you can take away from that game and some other games is that Tennessee's tempo, they, they play on a silent count and they play with such tempo that sometimes the crowd is, I won't say that they're taken out of it, certainly, but it's it's less of an issue sometimes because they're they're going so fast. It's almost like there's a cadence to a crowd and you have a play and you kind of have to get reset, the crowd does, and then bring that noise again. And Tennessee just just controls the tempo so well. If they are moving the ball and they're converting first downs, you know, they'll snap it and then it'll be spotted and they'll snap it again, spotted and snap it again. And then sometimes they'll tap the brakes and you'll just be standing at the line for 30 seconds 
waiting for them to snap. And they, they're, they're just so good with their tempo. I think it sometimes jostles uh, road crowds a little bit out of, the, out of their element. Adam, take me back to the Alabama win. I know you, we just mentioned that in passing. Where were you when the game ended, and, and what, were the, what were the next 45 minutes or so like for you? Um, I was in the press box when it ended. I uh, had to post the game story real quickly. My colleague, Mike Wilson, was down in the fray. Um, I got down there just like a couple minutes after that and it tried to get to the press conference room, and actually they wouldn't allow us in. We had to go around the back way, so you had to go on the field to get to the press conference room which meant they were pushing thousands of people out and you were trying to get in. So, so it, uh, once I got in there, there's, you know, victory cigar smoke everywhere. People taking selfies with players. Um, there's a guy named Santa Vol who is uh, exactly what he sounds like. He's a UT <laughs> fan that's in an orange Santa suit. He's like a 67 year old man. He jumped off like a eight foot wall to get onto the field, took a face plant. And then people helped him up, and then he turned around, and the kicker that made the game-winning kick, Chase McGrath, was standing there, and he grabbed him and did a selfie while recovering from his injuries. Uh, it just it was a it was a weird sight. My colleague Mike Wilson, we get into the press conference room, and uh, we saw that they were taking the goalposts away or trying to get them out of the uh, uh, out of the stadium, and sort of a quick trigger with Mike, he said, you stay here for the press conference. I'm chasing the goalpost. And <laughs> all the way to the, the river, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, one of them stayed, they wouldn't let it go out. And they kept that one in the stadium, ended up being signed by a bunch of Tennessee staff and all that. The other one was taken to the river. It was thrown into the river by a bunch of uh, drunk dudes. <laughs> and then, but then I guess after that, they figured, why are we throwing this in the river? We should keep this at our frat house. And so then somebody went in and fished it out, took it to their fraternity house, and then tried to saw it into pieces with a handsaw. So that, that's what you need, really. That's a good situation if you've got drunk frat guys with a handsaw and a huge piece of metal at midnight at a frat house it, it it didn't get better than that part of it's still in the river part of it's fished out by somebody else and then part of it is a fraternity house but there's a lot of people that claim they had parts of the of one of the goalposts that are that are floating around but I, I don't really believe anybody at this point but Mike Mike chased it down I didn't see him that night for about two hours and um Coaches and players didn't get to the press conference room for an hour and a half after the game was over because they just – you couldn't find the players. They were just scattered in all different corners of that, you know, of the however many tens of thousands of people that were on there. And nobody was going to sort of like let them go until they, everybody got a selfie. So it was a long time. And then once they get into the, you know, into the locker room, all the players are taking pictures, all their families are in there. Josh Hopple's walking around with his cigar. All the players have their cigars. Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning's in there smoking a cigar with the players. So, of course, like all 105 guys on the team are going to get their selfie with Peyton and a cigar because you only get one chance at that. So that that took forever. And it was just a it was a crazy scene. I could have written about three stories while waiting for the press conference, but you never knew when it was going to happen. It finally happened late, late, late that night. Did you donate to the UT field goal fund or whatever? <laughs> yeah, they got some flack about that because, yeah, they raised a bunch of money. Uh, they already had a backup goalpost that was in storage, but they were like, hey, let's let's do this. And maybe people will get the joke. Maybe other people will fall for it. But one way or another, they're really excited and they'll throw money at us. So let's <laughs> let's put up a GoFundMe or whatever. And it made, it made a whole lot of money. So I guess it it worked out well. Interesting thing is the goalpost that they put up that had been in storage had been there since 1998. Oh. So if you know around Knoxville, the saying is always, it feels like 98 <laughs> uh, because that was their national title year. Well, of course, when the goalposts come down, what, which ones do they pull out? The ones that were, that were purchased in 98. <laughs> now, one thing about this matchup is Georgia's defense against this high powered offense is, that what Tennessee and Heupel and everything is is kind of saying that it it will be a kind of a a good matchup in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I think Tennessee's defense keeps them in the game. I think Tennessee's offense can win them the game. If Tennessee's going to win, they they have to be competitive on defense to make sure you know Georgia just doesn't 
dictate what happens in this game. Um, if they can do that, just be competitive, deep Tennessee's defense, then you're handing it over to your offense, and that's the only way they're going to win it. Tennessee's not going to win this game of defense. They, they can only win it by, you know, getting, I don't know what the number would be, mid-30s at least, maybe 40 points. I mean, Georgia's offense, I think, is pretty undervalued. Uh, it's not as flashy as Tennessee's, but, you know, it can score, and Bennett's very efficient, and those those tight ends are are – are high-end NFL caliber uh, guys and that they can run the ball and there's just a whole lot of balance to what they do. Um, yeah, I mean, the obvious matchup is Tennessee's O versus Georgia's D. And, you know, I mean, at this point, I've said this a number of times this week, that Tennessee's offense sort of feels like a force of nature at this point. It just, it just every game that you think somebody's going to, like, slow it down, it just keeps on rushing through and you think what's ever going to stop this. And I, I, you know, I don't like to, you know, buy into something that I'm seeing that I'm covering to that extent, but I thought LSU with the, a lot of their portal guys on defense, they have a lot of talent would do something to that offense. They, they had nothing. I thought Alabama and Nick Saban with his scheme would have a counter to this tempo and he had nothing. I mean, Jalen Hyatt scored five touchdowns, and he was uncovered for a lot of those. Um, it's just really about – I don't think it's necessarily just making plays. I think if Josh Heupel can out-scheme Kirby Smart, that, that that's where it is. I think Tennessee's going to make some plays. They're going to make some good ones, some bad ones. But what the difference in Tennessee's offense this year as opposed to other offenses or, or even Tennessee's offense last year is that they have out-schemed every coach they've been up against. Um, they've just, they've had guys running open. They've run guys in motion and messed up coverages. They've come out in formations where their splits of their wide receivers are the wide receivers are like a foot off the sideline and they're RPOing people to death. They're, they're hitting with them with tempo. I mean, last week, Kentucky had defensive linemen standing up, looking to the sideline on fourth and one and just got bulldozed because they weren't ready for the tempo. Last year in this game, Georgia was good defensively. They gave up a touchdown early to Tennessee, and then from that point forward, they Kirby's bunch, you know, adjusted well and controlled that game. That's that's one of the few times that I've seen anybody have success against this. So I'm very curious. You know, I don't. Georgia does not have, I think, the raw talent that they did last year, but they still got a lot. And so I want to see if that's enough, and if Kirby's got a plan because. Um, I think a lot of times in these games, Georgia would maybe look to Alabama and see what their plan was against Tennessee and have a version of that, probably a better version of that. But if you look at that game, Kirby's got to say, what Saban did is exactly what I don't want to do because it it had no success at all. He's got to have a plan B. And I'm sure he's got a, a really good one, and we'll see if that works. Since Georgia kind of scuffed a little bit at, at Missouri, needed to come back and win that game in the fourth quarter, they scored 42, 55, and 42 against Auburn, Vanderbilt, and Florida. You mentioned about uh, the defense being able to keep Tennessee, uh, you know, keep Georgia down, I guess. Do, do you think that they they can? Um, no, I, I don't think they're going to keep them in check. Like, I don't think Tennessee's going to have a – you know, they, they had their best defensive game against an SEC opponent last week against Kentucky in several years. Um won that game 44 to six. I, I don't see them doing anything like that to, to Georgia. I mean, I would think if they could, you know, Florida scored 33 on Tennessee and some of those were late. I mean, I think Tennessee would, would do cartwheels if they could keep Georgia to like the low thirties. Um, you know, Tennessee is, is they're a little, um, undervalued of what they do on defense. If you look at some of their numbers, you're like, eh, it's a terrible pass defense. And they give up a lot of yards to this quarterback and that quarterback. One thing in Tennessee's defense does have a lot of holes. I always tell people though, when they look at the numbers of Tennessee's defense is that they're essentially playing five quarters of a game instead of four. So a lot of the numbers are going to be bigger because Tennessee's offense is so there's their, their tempo is such an issue for other teams. They score so quickly. Um, I mean, Tennessee typically in the last two years has been number one in total offense and last in time of possession. 
they they just score really fast and then they put their defense back on the field. So their defense, some games is on the field for 40, 45 minutes and not playing really that bad. So a lot of the numbers are inflated. Um, Tennessee has, has a pretty good pass rush, but it doesn't get home, so to speak. Uh, it they Tennessee's pass rush will alter plays more than they'll get sacks. A lot of hurries, not many sacks. Um, they will gamble with their pass rush. They do it especially early in games and late in games. They do it early to sort of so, sort of speed up the clock of the opponent. They want a frenzied sort of pace, offense and defense. They want you to fall into that that tempo and to stay there so they can, you know, first team to 40 wins. And they they like to do that, get the offense in, in sort of that pressured uh, pace. And then they'll give up a lot of yards in the middle of the game, and then they run out of gas late in the game, so they'll blitz again because they can't that their their secondary just can't hold up late in games. Uh, Tennessee's had a lot a lot of injuries in the secondary, especially at corner. One, maybe two of their guys will be back this week. Starting corners, Kamal Haddon should be back. Kristen Charles probably will. Uh, but Tennessee's got a big question there because they played their best defensive game and certainly their best game in the secondary against Kentucky last week, got three picks. And those were with like second and third string guys. Um, so do you kind of stick with them because there's the hot hand or do you go back to your starting corners who are now healthy, who struggled when they played? I think they'll have a combination of those guys. I, I do think the big question is just what they do with those tight ends. Cause I think Tennessee somewhat can match up with Georgia's wide receivers, at least adequately. Um, they can scheme somewhat in their blitzes to maybe keep some of the deep passes off of their plate. But uh, those tight ends, in my estimation, are really good in the red zone and really good on third down. And uh, in Tennessee, under Josh Heupel, when they've gotten beaten games, it's because they the, their defense can't get off the field in third down. And that that's what would worry me more than anything. Adam, I'm not sure if you were on the beat when they hired Josh Heupel. Were you, were you there yet? I got there just a few months a, uh, after, but I, I I covered a little bit of that that fallout from afar. Well, I will say, what was the temperature of his hire? I mean, I know fans probably want to put up a statue soon uh, if they continue this pace, but what was the temperature like when they hired him? Was it a was it a good hire around there? Most people shrugged their shoulders at it. They said, "Eh, maybe this will work out," but I don't know. I mean, it was. Um, I mean. A lot of people love the fact that he was bringing an offense. I mean, that was the big plus. Anywhere he had been, it's good, it's fun. It's a lot of points and a lot of yards. Now, you're probably going to give up a lot of points and a lot of yards, but sometimes people just want to be entertained, especially when you're, you know, you've got all these NCAA mess and you've got a, a you know, a, a coach that people had soured on, you know, just entertain me. So I think the sense with a lot of them was at least this guy, it'll be fun to watch. Um but, you know, I mean, he, he, the thing is that, I mean, Josh, Josh Hoppel is very affable, friendly guy, great guy that as far as my interactions with him, um, very genuine, sort of a Midwestern kind of all shucks type guy. Um, the kind of guy that on his coaches shows will apologize if his connection is not good, <laughs> you know, as if he's the yeah. one calling in rather than receiving the calls. <laughs> he's very likable, um, but he doesn't have like a, he doesn't have like a Lane Kiffin personality. He's not like super charismatic where, you know, he just won a press conference. So people were good with the offense, but he did have a strike against him that the AD that hired him is Danny White, who was his AD at Central Florida. So he, he had, it looked like, the new athletic director was hired, did a national search and then came back to his buddy and just hired him. And the thought was, why are you doing a national search? If all you're doing is just going to promote the guy that you had at UCF, but you know, it people bought into him by I'd say middle to late last year because it was entertaining. Like you thought it would be. And then they were also, you know, competitive. They were competitive against uh, Alabama last year for three quarters they looked okay against Georgia at times. Uh, they beat Kentucky on the road. Um, so people were buying into it. And, uh, you know, by, by the time they got into this year, a couple games, people are head over heels over him. And you're getting what you would expect, which is, boy, you better give this guy Kirby Smart money, Nick Saban money, or we're going to lose him kind of thing. So that's what you get with the Tennessee fan base. If, if, if you struggle, they're going to put uh, for sale signs in your in your yard 
if you if you win some, then they're going to say, give him all the money in the world because we love winning. All right, Adam, we'll get you out of here with a quick question, a quick answer. Maybe um, know your wife was trying to buy a ticket for this game. Uh, how did that work <laughs> out? Did you have to take out a second mortgage? And then uh, the other question is uh, the obvious one, just kind of which way you see this game going. As we are recording this, uh, she is on the secondary market right now trying to make her final decision. I put a cap on her, I think at $300 and then $400 and then $500. Keep going. Right (laughs) right before we get to record this, I think she said, I found one for $400, but the fees put it at like $680. So I I think this means I'm going to take every bit of overtime for this this run to Tennessee zone and put it towards tickets for Sanford stadium. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think she's going, but it's going to be really, really expensive. Um, my, my, I like to pick games, predict games, like using logic. Like when I see the, the line is like a touchdown or more, I almost always go with what that pick is. And this is like what an eight, nine point line in, in Georgia's favor. Yeah. And I, I like to look at what the matchup is. Tennessee's got a great offense. Georgia's got a great defense. Tennessee's got a okay defense. Georgia's got a really good offense. All that logic tells me to pick Georgia uh, in a close game. I, I, I'll have to admit, I, I just I, – I look at Tennessee's offense and I think, what's going to slow this down? If something doesn't slow it down, um, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to run through the schedule. And had they not beaten Alabama, um, I, I would pick Tennessee to lose by about 10 or 14 in this game. The fact that Nick Saban could not figure out a way to keep this team under 50 points is still shocking to me. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to go with Tennessee. I think I think this is a game probably in the mid to upper 30s, and, uh, and, and I'm picking Tennessee to win by like a field goal. I think the winner of this game will be the one seed next week and will probably stay there all the way to championship week. I think the loser of this game is in the number five or number six spot in CFP next week and, and sort of looking for a way to inch their way back into the top four. All right, Adam, wishing you well on the uh, drive to Athens with traffic and uh, your wife getting in the stadium um, and uh, look forward to seeing you in the press box. should be quite a Saturday. Look forward to it. Thanks guys. All right, we thank Adam Sparks for joining us to give us the uh, Tennessee-Georgia perspective from Knoxville. Quickly, Ryan, I uh, wrote a story about the demand that you might have uh, if you're trying to, like, grab a breakfast at Mama's Boy uh, you know, over this weekend, this big football weekend with, I don't know, what you think there'll be 110,000 fans in town maybe? Whew, yeah. What do you, you know, 92,000, right? Then you get people just coming in just for fun. Yeah, it becomes a second city all to itself, basically. Brings up this question, Ryan. How how long would you wait for a table? Not not necessarily at, at that restaurant, which is great breakfast, but just anywhere. Are you a patient guy? Can you wait around? No, for- no, not at all. I mean, look, I'm good with a with a McDonald's bacon, egg, and cheese when it comes down to it. So waiting, you know, more than thirty minutes at most places, I'm uh, I'm out. Just uh, I'll, I'll go to. I'll go to anywhere, any establishment to get a burger or anything. I'm not, I'm not too fond of waiting. How about you? Do you, you and the family go and, and wait for a couple hours to get a good steak somewhere or something? No, I mean, I'm probably the least patient of anyone in my family. So it does not surprise me whatsoever. Yeah. Um, bacon, egg, and cheese. Are you talking about biscuit or are you talking about like an egg McMuffin type thing? Yeah, either or, but mainly a biscuit. All right, you know, if uh, I ever, sorry, if I ever pulled up to the Chick Fil A and the lines, you know, wrapped around the building completely, I'm on to the next thing. Well, I would say that in most places, but Chick Fil A, they they move you through there pretty fast. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. very efficient. All right, um, Georgia basketball, Ryan. I know you're ready for that, aren't you? Yeah. They beat Georgia College in an exhibition game on uh, when was that Tuesday night? Mm-hmm. Uh, most notable thing was uh, transfer Terry Roberts missed the game due to personal reasons. We'll see if he's back for the opener Monday versus Western Carolina. Ryan, go ahead. Before the season starts, give me your SEC record for Georgia and their overall record. You know, I didn't see the other night's game, Tuesday night's game, but it didn't do much for me when I saw the box score. Now, 
obviously you're shuffling guys in and out and whatnot. I believe in a podcast, maybe over the summer, we were given uh, predictions and whatnot. I think we, we were around the five and 12 or how many games they play now? 18 in the conference. Yeah, I go six and twelve in the SEC. I yeah, don't know five and thirteen somewhere in there. Six uh, and twelve, and maybe um, I think that holds. I think a five and thirteen or so uh, seems right now. It'll be interesting to see if they improve. Uh, you know, for the opener, was it Western Carolina? Is that who they play on on Monday? Yep, yep, yep. You know, uh, they need to win by more than sixteen or fourteen, whatever it was, over a team like that. All right, Cario Quendo was a second team All SEC selection uh, by the coaches. They have like 17 players total on their on their preseason all SEC teams. Look, yeah. you can only play five at a time. So come on. What are you doing? You know, I've always wondered about that. You know, you you got a eight eight teams uh, or eight players on each team first and second. But I guess that gets more guys recognition. So that's a good thing. All right, let's make our picks. Um, I went six and eight last week. I'm now 58 and 62, which is six and eight is it's better than what I did the week before. How'd you do? You know, I didn't even keep up with it last week. I'll be honest with you. Been been quite busy with, with certain things, so it didn't even cross my mind to check my picks. I apologize, but I, I probably didn't do didn't do too hot to be quite All right. Honest. That's okay for now, but you will go back and you'll count those up. We need to get your record up to speed. All right. Sounds good. All right. I said we we're gonna have a guest picker with us. That would have been my daughter, but she actually has a conflict because we ran over now. She's got another Zoom to jump on. Uh, to so give her picks? What's that? No, she, uh, I guess I could have. She did actually look at them. Um, we'll go ahead and have her try to get her back on another podcast as we, uh, you know, George is going to be playing games in January, right? Maybe. I don't know. Sure. All right. All right. Uh, let's knock these out fast because uh, Ryan's got somewhere to go. I got to go do some uh, football interviews. Kentucky at Missouri. It's the Wildcats. Uh, there's no Wildcats. Yeah, Kentucky Wildcats by one and a half. I'm going to take Kentucky on the road with Mizzou coming off their win at South Carolina. I, I, no, I think Mizzou's, uh, you know, Georgia saw they were, uh, you know, kind of uh, sneakily good. I think uh, being at home against Kentucky, licking their wounds after last week, uh, I think Missouri. <clears throat> All right. Ohio State's at Northwestern. It's the Buckeyes by 38. Ryan, go ahead and give me your pick. Lord have mercy. Yeah, I think Ohio State goes in there and covers that. Uh, Northwestern's not having the best year from what I remember. So, I, I think Ohio State covers 38. Yeah, Northwestern's really bad. Give me Ohio. Florida at Texas A&M. It's, uh, you know, Brenton Cox, as we mentioned, just dismissed. Aggies by three and a half. I think Florida, um, they're not really going to write the ship in any sort of way. I mean, I'm taking the uh, Jimbo Fishers who desperately need to win. Uh... Give me Florida to go in there and win. Straight up. Texas Tech is at TCU. It's the Horned Frogs by nine and a half. Ryan, go ahead and make a pick. Yeah, that seems like a low number at TCU. Yep. For the, what, seventh-ranked team in the college football playoffs? I think they uh, they don't like that. I think, they're, uh, I think they're a little bit upset anyway about how they're perceived by the college football playoffs. So give me TCU to cover nine. Nine and a half is the number. Ooh, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, um, keep... yeah, Texas Tech's been pretty up and down. I think TCU is going to be pissed off. I'm taking TCU. It's uh, Maryland against Wisconsin. Uh, Maryland's going on the road. The Badgers by four and a half under the, their interim coach. The Terps have been in every game. Uh, they're six and two. I'm taking the Terps getting the points. Yeah, you would. You would. I uh I don't know you know that's a tough place to go into there Madison Wisconsin so give me the give me the Badgers Georgia Tech at Virginia Tech these are some bad teams the Hokies by three points Ryan go ahead yeah you know I thought Georgia Tech had turned the corner a little bit under Brent Key but they've kind of gone downhill a little bit since then so in a battle of bads give me the home team to cover nope taking the old jackets getting the points Virginia Tech. Uh, they're hard to watch. Oklahoma State is at Kansas. It's the Jayhawks by two. The Cowboys, uh, they were just shut out. I think Kansas. They've fallen on some hard times, haven't they? I think Kansas wins a close one here. Yeah, I'm still on the Kansas uh, bandwagon here for uh, for football, anyways. So I think they I think they can handle uh, handle Oklahoma State. 
Michigan State is at Illinois. It's the Spartans getting 15. They've got like eight guys suspended. I'm taking the Brett Bielema Illini. Yeah, look at them having a having a great year under Brett. And I mean, it's a fiasco with Mel Tucker up there right now with that beating of a Michigan player uh, with the team and all. So yeah, give me Illinois. I, I think Michigan's uh, Michigan State, I should say, is on some hard times right now. Liberty is at Arkansas. What an interesting matchup. It's the Razorbacks by 13 and a half. Ryan, go ahead, make your pick. I know. I think Liberty. I mean, they uh, gave Wake Forest a heck of a game earlier in the year. And that was that their only loss, Liberty? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh I think they give Arkansas a tough time. I really do. So give me Liberty. I'm gonna take Hugh Freeze and the uh Flames getting a bunch of points. Texas is at Kansas State. Uh, I will take the Longhorns getting two and a half in Little Manhattan. Why I don't get the why uh, Texas keeps being favored in, in some, some games. They don't do too much. No, they're not favored. They're I said they're getting two and a half. Okay, yeah, I, I got you. But you know, a couple weeks ago they were seemed like they were favored over somebody that you know just didn't make sense to me. I think Kansas State rolls in this one ten or more. Alabama at LSU, it's the Crimson Tide by 13. They are six in the college football playoff rankings. Not sure they deserve to be that high. I have TCU ahead of them in my AP ballot. I will take the Tigers, who have it going lately, uh, getting 13. I was a little surprised that LSU is, what, 12 in the college football rankings? No, they're 10. They're 10. Oh, 10, yeah. Wow. That, that kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, give me Alabama to go in there and, and roll pretty good. They're in desperation mode. They gotta they gotta win convincingly, and I think they go in there and do it. It's Auburn and Mississippi State, and it's interim coach Carnell Cadillac Williams for the Tigers. I remember that dude. Uh, go ahead and and uh, make a pick. It's it's Mississippi State giving twelve and a half. Uh, at home. At home. Give me Auburn riding the Cadillac to a to with some motivation, and they'll they'll cover that. Mississippi State's coming off a bye week, and they were uh, they've not played good football the last couple of weeks. I think they're going to uh, come back and and uh, kind of bounce back. And I'll take Mississippi State uh, covering that number twelve and a half against the Tigers. All right, Clemson's at Notre Dame. It's the Tigers by three and a half. Um. This is another team. I think they're, what are they, fourth in the playoff rankings? Yep. Some of these brand names are just getting – and I'm, I'm putting Clemson as a brand name, obviously. They've won a couple of national titles recently. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna, I like Clemson in this one. Notre Dame has been up and down. They won at Syracuse, but I think uh, Clemson covers that number. What was the number? Three and a half. At Clemson. Tigers? No, it's, at, it's in South Bend. All right, give me Notre Dame. Give me Notre Dame. And this is going by them beating Syracuse after Syracuse should have beaten Clemson, that whole circle right there. So give me another damn. All right, two more games. South Carolina's at Vanderbilt. It's the Gamecocks by seven. Um, I just don't have much confidence in Vanderbilt, even if South Carolina is scuffling and their offense is kind of, you know, in shambles. I'm going to take South Carolina giving the seven. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep this. I'll keep this short, South Carolina. All right. Big game, Tennessee at Georgia. Last number I saw, which was this morning, Georgia by eight. That seems like a little bit of a too big a number between two teams that, uh, you know, really have it going. Um, I'll take Georgia to win by a touchdown, but I'm going to take Tennessee to cover the number. Um, look, I think this game is going to be, um, you know, probably in the – you know, in the 30s, maybe, uh, maybe Tennessee gets held below 30. But, you know, I mean, I, Tennessee's got some really good personnel and offense. I mean, you know, you're going to talk about uh, Jalen Hyatt, but I mean, Cedric Tillman's coming back from an injury. They got Blue McCoy. Um, you got some really good tight ends in, in Princeton, Princeton Fant and Jacob Warren. You know, Kirby keeps talking about their running backs, Jabari Small and Jalen Wright. But I think Georgia's got really good offensive players, too. Um, you know, they don't necessarily shine that much on an individual level, level but they kind of complement each other. And, you know, Bowers and, and uh, Washington in particular 
are just super impressive week in and week out now. And, um, you know, maybe uh, a guy like Lab McConkey gets going again. Um, I think McIntosh does have it going. And Georgia's defense needs to be sound, uh, you know, against these wide receivers. Can't afford more than one big bust probably because uh, I think that's going to happen every game against Tennessee. But you can't have uh, multiple busts like that where you're giving up big touchdowns. So uh, I'm, I'm going to take Georgia. Uh, I think they are going to be motivated a little bit by this uh, number one Tennessee ranking, and they have been hard to beat at home. So give me Georgia. I agree with you. I, you know, obviously this Tennessee high-powered offense is going to be hard to hard to stop. But what we've seen under Kirby Smart is that when this team has something to rally behind, that they're they're pretty darn hard to to beat or even put up points against. Now I think Tennessee will put up some points. I I don't think they'll have a a game you know like they did last week against Kentucky where they put up forty four or over fifty like they did against Alabama. I think Adam was right that. Kirby will come up with a plan that, you know, doesn't mirror what Alabama did because it just didn't work. But I believe that this Georgia team, with that motivation of the of the third, you know, spot in the college football playoff rankings, Tennessee being number one, I don't think that was a good thing for Tennessee. Give me Georgia to cover. All right, should be a great uh, weekend in Athens. I uh, hope you enjoy it if you're going, if you have a ticket. Uh, or otherwise enjoy you know watching it at home uh thanks for listening uh give us a five-star review if you are so inclined uh at least just for ryan who has to put up with uh the production value of this thing and going to to make uh cut out whatever uh he might have to cut out and yeah. um everyone will talk to you next time have a great uh, weekend ahead see you